<laughs> We've just started a new sermon series on the Psalms. This is our second week. And uh, the Psalms, if you've never looked at them, perused them before, they're a collection of prayers and songs from ancient Israelite worship. Um, there's a little uh, guide in there, a little introduction inside the bulletin. If you missed it last week, it'll be there for, for a bit. Also on the back is a reading schedule so that you can get through by the time this series is done, having read through at least once all 150 Psalms. Just an invitation for you, not an obligation. Uh, that schedule will be updated as we go along, too. It doesn't have all 150 there. The Psalms, why they're so attractive, why they're so appealing. Um, as I said last week, I think it's because of their achingly honest and sometimes brutally raw reflection of Israel's dialogue with God through all the times of life, all the emotions of life, good and bad and in between. I think for that reason, this playlist of songs, it could be argued, reflects the greatest hits of human experience on the journey of faith. And this morning, as we continue surveying the Psalms, I'm going to ask uh, Bill Woodbury to come up and to read for us. And as he comes up, let me just prepare us for where we're going to go with this understanding. Last week, we sort of looked in one direction. Sometimes the path, the walk of faith, is light. It's beautiful. It's easy to linger upon. There's a spring in our step as we feel the security of the foundation that we walk upon. And these are, as we talked about, the seasons of orientation in our life. And there are psalms, there are songs in this book that speak to those seasons of orientation where God is in heaven and all is right in the world. Last week, we considered, if you missed it, a breathtaking example of this kind of song of orientation, the simple and yet eloquent praises of David in Psalm 8. Sometimes that path, that walk of faith is light, it's beautiful, it's easy to linger upon. But other times, the road we must travel on is long. It's demanding. It's hard to walk upon with confidence. Suddenly, what we believe, what we profess to believe, is challenged by the reality of what we're facing. And this is the experience of disorientation in our lives. This is the experience of disorientation as recorded in Psalm 22. Uh -huh. We are reading from... Uh Psalm 22, 1 through 8. In your pew Bible, it is uh, 381. If it's a big print Bible like mine, it's uh, 547. <clears throat> my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cry out and were saved. To you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Thanks be to God. Keep those Bibles open. You might have noticed this is a longer song, and we're going to be looking at all of it today. I wanted to give you the first eight verses to get a feel for it. But keep those Bibles open. This is a song of disorientation. 
When we think of disorientation, that word, maybe what comes to mind is something momentary. You know, we think of disorientation and a disorienting experience like forgetting where you parked your car. Has everyone ever done that before? Or a disorienting experience for us might be where you suddenly lose track of one of your children in a store. That happened to anybody before? For us, that might be what we think of when we hear this word disorientation. But what David, as you heard Bill read, what David describes to us here is much different. Disorientation, as David describes it, is not a momentary thing. You heard it. David perceives himself to be isolated, alone, cut off from the compassion of anyone, even, it would seem, his God. As you read through the whole of this song, you sense that David can barely move let alone breathe because of the weight of his fears and sorrows. His hurt and his confusion have become so intense that David actually starts to believe that God has forsaken him. We hear the agony of abandonment in David's cry, his question, why? Have you ever looked up and asked that question before, like David? Why? Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance? Why are you so far from my words of groaning? David's plea, why, to my God, shows his relationship to and his dependence upon God. In the Psalms, when you see my God, it's equivalent to saying my father. Like a child, in the presence of his dad, David pours out his heart to his father. Why? And as the questions increase in their intensity, God's silence, his failure to speak becomes for David unbearable. David describes, you heard Bill read it, you have it there in front of you in your Bible. David describes his, his cries to God as continual, day and night. And still you do not answer. And because God does not answer, David says he has no rest. He can find no rest. Have you ever found yourself like David? Up all night, waiting for that call, looking for that answer to come. Think about this psalm as we can't pinpoint the exact circumstances of David's life. You'll notice sometimes with some of the songs that are in the psalms, they have like liner notes that tell us the circumstances. We don't know the exact circumstances that caused David to pen these words, but I'll tell you, the emotions, the descriptions of what he's going through, we can all relate to. We can all relate to eventually. Maybe, maybe now is not a season of disorientation for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not disoriented. Life is good. Love is in the air. Happiness abounds. You feel your purpose. You, your life, it, it has meaning. All is well. Praise the Lord for that. Praise God. Praise God. When things go well, when the prayers are answered, when the diagnosis is good, when he's finally willing to get help, when everyone has arrived home safely, when the storm has passed, praise God rolls off our tongues. But when things do not go well, when our prayers are not answered, when the diagnosis is bad, when he's drinking again and won't admit there's a problem, 
when everyone doesn't make it back safely. When the damage from the storm proves devastating. When your life feels turned upside down, it feels very hard to say, praise God. The first thing Psalms of disorientation, songs like this teach us, is disorientation is real. Disorientation happens. You're not crazy. It's not just you. Asking why is a legitimate question. And I, I, I say this, and I, I point to this, the psalm offering us this, because for many of us, we often feel like when we're going through seasons of disorientation that we're crazy. We often feel like it's us. We often feel like there's something wrong with asking why. And the reason for that is, is that by and large, as a, as a race, as a species, as a community, we're not comfortable with disorientation. We're not comfortable with disorientation because it messes with our sense of being in control. And so when it's not happening to us, when we're not the ones going through disorientation, we like to pretend it doesn't exist. We like to act like it's not there. Smile. Don't talk about it. Smile. Everything's fine. I, by the way, I just have to, I hate that word fine because fine is a cover for everything. How you doing? I'm fine. No, no, everything's fine. No, 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 there are no problems. Everything's fine. Say it with me. Everything's fine. We don't like disorientation. Consciously or unconsciously, we're so uncomfortable with it. If we're not going through it and someone else is, we tend to make it their issue. It's the other person's issue. We actually, even unconsciously, if we're not purposefully doing this, we can actually make the other person feel like there's something wrong with them. Even in the church, this happens. Even in the church, when you find yourself in this space of disorientation, you can find yourself feeling like you don't fit, feeling like you don't belong, feeling like you're not welcome. And, and again, part of what bears this out is that even in the church, we don't often sing songs like this in the church. We don't sing songs like Psalm 22. Songs of disorientation are not the most requested songs for Sunday. Now, I'm shaking hands at the door and people go, you know, next week, Pastor Chris, could we get a hymn or a praise song about disorientation? I would just love that. <laughs> We're laughing about that. You know, that's not requested. We're laughing about that. But what's interesting about that is psalms like these, prayers of lament, songs of heartbreak, do you know this? They make up the largest collection in the biblical playlist. We don't sing them in church. We don't request them. But they're the largest collection in the biblical playlist. We need to hear that. We need to hear in the midst of being uncomfortable that seasons of disorientation are a part of life. Stuff happens. The order of our world isn't always what we want it to be. And God sometimes seems far removed from our circumstances. Sometimes we acutely experience the chaos, the pain, and the suffering of this life. We experience it in a way that it confounds us like David to the point of being incomprehensible. And beloved, here's the thing. If we don't, if we don't know how to sing these songs, if we don't know it's okay to sing songs like this, if we don't give each other permission to sing songs like this, then we won't know how to come out the other side of these experiences. 
It's interesting to me as a pastor, as I said before, that more often than not, when people are not in church, when people leave the church is when they're going through seasons of disorientation. When, as I hope you're going to see through what David takes us to, that's the time when we most need to be together. We most need to be singing. We need to reflect on that. What is it about what we're, we are and how we're being as a church that this is only a place when things are good? And part of that may be, and I've, I've hit this before, but I want to impart this to you. You don't have to know everything about the Bible, but we have to be really, really careful in our presentation of the gospel. It's, it sounds great, but the idea that God has a wonderful plan for your life, and if you accept Jesus, it's all going to be fabulous. But that is a biblical lie. And it doesn't mean it's all bad, but it's not that easy. If we accept Jesus, if we acknowledge him as our Lord and Savior, we're going to take up our cross and follow him to be conformed into the image of Christ, to become who we are in Christ, who we're truly meant to be, to slough off all the brokenness and the sin, we are going to experience tension, pain, suffering. And we need to be honest about that. And part of our honesty is singing these kind of songs. David keeps singing. He's not silent, as you'll notice if your Bibles are open. He's not silent even though God is. And David's not silent. He keeps singing, but this leads to painful confusion. A painful confusion. You see, David is not feeling abandoned by God in this song. He's not feeling abandoned by God in the sense that God was not present. David perceives that God's there all the way. This is implied by the very act that he's praying, right? You can't address someone who isn't there. If you do, we think you're crazy. No, disorientation, what we need to understand, presupposes God is not far away, but that God is near and listening. It's not as if God can't hear or answer. The hard part about disorientation is for whatever reason, God chooses not to do so. We need to understand this idea of disorientation. This disorientation is this, the sense of God's abandonment not li- does not lie in God's going away. That's what it feels like. That's not what it is. It's not in God's going away. It's in God being present and yet doing nothing. And when you're a child of the covenant, when you're a child of the promise, and your son suffers a crippling or fatal accident, when you're a child of the promise, the covenant, and your daughter gets raped, you get foreclosed on, your cancer gets worse, you lose the baby, you feel forsaken. You feel the fear. You feel the anxiety of a broken promise. You said you'd be there. You promised you'd come through. David holds on. He presses on in the midst of God's silence, God's absence. He holds on by leveraging the past. We use part of this psalm as our call to worship. David uses it as his way to keep petitioning God. He leverages the past. Look at those verses right after the, at the start. He says, you heard and answered in the past. You heard and answered in the past for them. Why not me? David is saying, in other words, my situation is worse than, than the times before, and yet you do nothing. Talk about adding insult to injury, feeling cut off from the positive experience of others. Again, when we don't sing songs like these, when we just say everything's fine, people who are going through seasons of disorientation, part of why they don't feel comfortable, part of why they can't sit with us in church is because they feel like they don't belong. They feel like that no one gets it. 
They feel like there's no place for them. And David is saying, you answered them, why not me? You were there for them, why not me? To be cut off from the works of deliverance is to be left alone in the dark. David is saying, I feel alienated from you. And that's why you heard Bill Reed, I'm a worm, David says. I'm a worm. David feels less than human. He feels treated like an animal. See, that's the thing. When we perceive God's silence, God's perceived silence and absence in our lives, what it does is it dwarfs our self-image. If we're created in the image of God, but we don't see or sense God, then suddenly we just perceive ourselves to be a shadow, a shadow of something or someone. We're not a full person. We feel invisible. When God's seemingly silent or absent, our sense of self is at risk. The worst part of disorientation, the worst part of it is that when you, rip, when you strip it all down, it leaves you with this question, who am I? Who am I? We lose our sense of who we are, and therefore we're vulnerable to persecution and attack. And David, as he goes on in the song, shares the, the attack that he's under. Enemies that he typifies as bulls, lions, and dogs, oh my. Bulls, lions, and dogs. And there's this growing sense of fear in his description. There's this increasing feeling of weakness as he's surrounded. David is mocked and scorned and insulted. If you truly trusted God, you would not suffer. This is what the animals around him say. David is facing Job's quandary of theological measuring sticks. In other words, it's your fault. Disorientation can cause us to blame ourselves. We're not comfortable with disorientation, so we make it about the other person. Well, you must have done something wrong. You must be going through this because you brought it upon yourself. And David challenges in this song this kind of simplistic theology. He challenges this kind of simplistic theology. It must be your fault. You did something to deserve this. You did something wrong. He challenges this by appealing to his identity. I love it. You see it there? He says, I belong. I'm a child of the covenant. I owe my life to you, God. I'm one of your children. I love what David says here. You made me trust you. You made me trust you. As a helpless infant is nursed by his mother, I've come to depend on you, God. And so David presses on. He's not going down without a fight. If you have it there in front of you, if you're reading it, even though David is in anguish, look at how he describes the devastation of his whole person. His strength pours out like water. His body is out of control. His bones are out of joint. His heart, his courage melts like wax. He's dried up broken pottery. He can't speak. His tongue sticks to the roof of his mouth. Even though people are staring and gloating at David as he's afflicted as they, and exposed, as they rip the clothes off his body, as his bare bones are so visible he can count them, even though the dust of death, as he calls it appears to be near. David will not be silent. He will not stop looking out and calling out to God. You see it right after three times. Deliver me, Lord. Rescue me, Lord. Save me, Lord. Beloved, Psalms of disorientation first let us know that disorientation happens. We're not crazy. It's not us. But what David also gives us here, Psalms of disorientation give Israel and us permission to acknowledge our feelings of abandonment as well as our fears without shame or apology. Disorientation, in other words, is not about suffering in silence or in shame. In fact, David's word to us when we walk through these seasons of disorientation is we must keep singing. Because disorientation is about venting, processing, detoxing. 
The biblical word for it is de- disorientation is about engaging lament. We don't use that word a lot in our day-to-day speaking, but it's a big word in the Bible, lament. And again, for many of us, we don't feel like we're given the permission because we're so uncomfortable, many of us, with disorientation. One, we feel like we're crazy, but part of why we feel like we're crazy or we feel like we don't belong is people aren't comfortable with us venting. They aren't comfortable with us saying what it feels like. And this kind of song in the Bible says we have to speak, we have to sing, we must do it. Because disorientation is about vocalizing lament. And here's the thing. I think part of why we shy away from it is we confuse lament with whining. A lot of times when you're struggling, people will be like, oh, stop whining. Take your big boy pants, your big girl pants. Pick yourself up. Stop it. Lament is not whining. Whining is the Israelites complaining in the desert because they have to have manna again. That's whining. Lament is not whining. Lament is something totally different. Whining is when when we don't get what we want our own personal preferences and desires. Lament is when we profoundly experience the chaos, the disorder, and evil that disrupts and darkens this world. It's not just, oh, manna again. Come on, God. My God, my God. Manna again. No, it's my God, my God. Suddenly I see, suddenly I feel, suddenly I experience the weight of this world, the chaos, the evil, it's hitting me right between the eyes. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lament is acknowledging the brokenness of creation, the disorienting forces of this present world that threaten and attempt to sabotage the will and purposes of our Father for his creation. You know, we're often tempted when the storms of this life come to think that we've been singled out for trouble, that our situation is unique. Again, we think that because oftentimes people point back to us and say, what did you do wrong? You must have done something to deserve this. But songs like this tell us That while the details of what's happening in our life may be unique, lament recognizes the painful truth of living in a broken world, all of us. The uncomfortable reality that faithful living does not always guarantee immediate deliverance. Faithful living does not always guarantee immediate deliverance. Suffering and death are unavoidable experiences of this life, even for the faithful. And again, we need to hear that because oftentimes we share a gospel that suggests that these things can be bypassed. And it's just not true. Just ask Jesus. When we read Psalm 22 and we hear it, we need to hear it from the lips of Christ. To take you to that place, let me ask you this. It's a really strange question. What's the last song you want to hear before you die? If you could choose, if you had the ability, what's the last song you would want to hear before you take your last breath on this earth? I ask you this rather strange question by way of showing you that of all the songs you've ever heard, of all 150 psalms on this playlist, Jesus picks this one. Jesus picks This one. Faithful Jew, a rabbi like Jesus, certainly knew all the Psalms by heart. All these songs, he knew them. Jesus' faith in God, I think we can all agree, was as strong as any human faith, if not stronger than any human faith ever was. 
And yet, with his last breath, he doesn't sing the song of Psalm 23, an oldie but a goodie that we all know and love, that many of us know by heart. He doesn't sing the words of Psalm 23. That's the song that every memorial service I do. You get together, people go, what should we sing? Psalm 20, or what scripture should we read? Psalm 23. Jesus doesn't sing Psalm 23 about God's comfort and assurance. Instead, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some people want to hear Psalm 22 because of that as purely prophecy. And truth be told, if you take Psalm 22 and you go to the end of the Gospels, it's hard not to read Psalm 22 and hear and see Jesus on the cross. From Jesus' first cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To the casting of lots for his clothing. To the insults being hurled at him. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. There can be no question this song of David anticipates Jesus. But to only hear Psalm 22 as prophecy is to negate the meaning and significance of this classic song prior to Jesus. I'm getting old now. And I've had the experience with younger people where a song suddenly becomes popular and people are like, this is the greatest song. It's so awesome, this new song. And I'm like, that's not a new song. That's a remake, man. I grew up with the original. And then I'll play, I don't like that version, I like the remake. I don't care, this is the original, man, this is the song. This is the original. And Jesus remakes a classic, hands down, from the cross. But the original was sung by David. And it's because of this song's long history of meaning in the community of faith that Jesus understood it to have special significance in his own life, ministry, and death. This psalm is a guide for lament. This psalm is a guide for responding to, the, to divine delay, for responding to feeling abandoned by God. It's an affirmation, as we've shown, of the experience of disorientation. We're not crazy. This is real. This happens. We, and it's also an affirmation that we don't need to suffer in silence. And the ultimate validation of the experience of disorientation comes from the fact that Jesus sings this song of all others from the cross. When Jesus echoes these words of David, he is truly the son of man, identifying with our suffering, identifying with the chaos of our lives, the brokenness of this world due to sin. God did not make this world a place where he would continually be stopping people from doing wrong to one another. Instead, our father chooses to give us freedom, but God chooses also to live and die because of the consequences of that freedom. In other words, God watches and God suffers. God laments. Some of us need to hear that this morning. God laments. God laments with us when the cancer comes back. God laments with us when a child is abused. God laments with us when we lose our home, when our marriage falls apart, when a loved one begins to forget who we are, God laments. Our Father knows what we're going through, 
in and through Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus uses the frame of this song not only to identify with our suffering, but to also open our window to broaden our own view of the suffering and pain of this world. Our Father laments, and we should too, when anyone is a victim of prejudice or discrimination. Our Father laments, and we should too, when poverty forces any of his children into slavery or prostitution. Our Father laments when something as simple as resolvable as not having clean drinking water causes countless numbers of people to die each day. God watches, God suffers, God laments. But the lament born of these seasons of disorientation, songs like this also lead us to believe. We have to sit in it first. We can't deny it. We have to sit in it. But they lead us to believe our present suffering, this evil, the evil in this world is temporary. It will not last. I said before, and I just, I, I'm, to make this point, when we just face general problems in our lives, there's one of two ways we tend to react. How when you encounter a problem in your life, maybe you react in one of these two ways. The first way, which we've already talked about, is to act like it doesn't exist. To look the other way, pretend it isn't there. Everything's fine. The other way to respond when a problem comes into our life is to let that problem overwhelm us and overtake the entire trajectory of our lives where we're literally drowning in the problem or problems that we're having. And these reactions just to problems, everyday problems that we have in our lives are the same when the stronger winds, the bigger storms come, when our conflicts revolve around the apparent silence or absence of God. One way to respond when God is seemingly absent or silent is to avoid facing what is happening. We don't, everything's fine, so we don't have to have our view of God. We know God is faithful, loving, and, challenged, and involved, and we don't want that unchanged. So everything's fine. Everything's fine. Or we go to the other place where we are so overwhelmed by the storm in our life that everything is thrown up for grabs. Our entire understanding of God is put into doubt and jeopardy. What I want you to see, what is so important about this song and songs like it in the Psalms, Psalm 22 refuses to take either of these two positions. For the first 21 verses, David refuses to deny the reality of what's happening to him. You're not crazy. It's not just you and you've got to sing. You've got to vocalize what's taking place. But notice with the last 10 verses, David will not deny the reality of what he knows about God. David has not been silent in his petitions, and he will not be silent now in his confidence in the Lord. Instead of listening to the naysayers and the critics, David is going to praise the Lord. He says he will declare God's name, his character to the community. With his back against the wall, David will not go quietly. He will not wither away. David knows his suffering will not go on forever. He will be heard. Staring into the darkness... Instead of waiting for the other shoe to drop, David is going to look towards the horizon. In this song, as he envisions the end of the world, David perceives a great reckoning when the poor are satisfied, when all opposition will be put to rest as the nations, all the nations, bow down before God, when this world of his that is turned upside down by all this chaos and mess will finally be turned right side up. Beloved, what David offers us through a song like this, Psalm 22, is an antidote to fair-weather religion. He offers us an antidote to trusting in God when the going is good, but losing hope when the going gets tough. David shared with us the validity of experiencing disorientation. He's shown us that part of walking through that experience is speaking up and speaking out without apology, without guilt or shame. And finally, David teaches us that coming out the other side of a series, season of disorientation is about holding on to hope. The hope that our Father hears 
our prayers, all of them, even if he has not yet acted, even if he does not act as we would like. You see, for David, there's a difference between waiting with hope and waiting in despair. For David, there's a difference between waiting to die and waiting for resurrection. For David, there's a difference between remaining fixated on one's own circumstances and aligning oneself with the hurt and struggles of this world. For David, there's a difference between just surviving your troubles and enduring them so that you have something to pass on to the next generation and not just survive, but thrive. Do you see that where David says, I know you will answer me, God, and I'm gonna be singing a new song, and that song is a song I'm gonna pass on to those who haven't even been born yet. I'm not just gonna survive, I'm gonna thrive, and I'm gonna pass on this hope that I have to those who come after me. Don't lose hope. And for David, the foundation of our hope, if we say, well, how do I not lose it? Where is it? The foundation of our hope is historical. It's remembering what God has done for us in the past. And the continuance of our hope comes from anticipating what God promises for the future, that nothing will ultimately squelch or prevent the fulfillment of his purposes for this world, for this creation. Do you see? If you ask yourself, how do I hold on to hope? Where does that hope come from? It's out of the hope we have in what God has done before and the hope of what God promises he will do that hope comes alive in the immediacy of our present circumstances. It's our hope from the past and our hope of the future that hope comes alive in the present. Like David, Jesus didn't shy away from either of these two realities. He didn't shy away from the grim horror of what he had to go through, but he didn't reject the promise that his father gave him that death would not be the last word in his life. The thing is, where David's suffering was for himself, Jesus' suffering was on behalf of sinners. You see, beloved, Jesus was the ultimate hope David anticipated. If you have your Bible open, read with me at the very end when he says, all who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, beloved brothers and sisters, that's you and me, those who cannot keep themselves alive, they will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, unborn, he has done it. The Hebrew here, for he has done it, can also be translated for it is done. Get ready for this, because this is awesome. Jesus experienced the worst the world could offer. He knew what it was like to be abandoned by God, and yet at his darkest moment, as his very life was slipping away, he cried out, it is finished. He cries out the last verse of this song, it is done. And it's not a cry of defeat. It's a cry of victory. The realization, the fulfillment of God's will being done of our Father's promise being kept. Through the suffering of Jesus, we, Jew and Gentile alike, we can worship the Lord from generation to generation knowing that we are not alone in our adversity and our anguish. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can take heart that the Lord's kingdom comes, that our cries, our lament, our disorientation are not without an answer. Jesus paid it all, the full cost of a sinful and broken world. Each time we come to the Lord's table, We remember, that's what we say, we remember, we are reminded of God's answer through Jesus Christ that because he was forsaken, we cannot and will never be. 
Our hope is in Christ, the one who conquered death, the God of unexpected dramatic reversals. If Jesus is risen, if God can raise the dead, surely our disorientation will not last. As another great psalm, another great song in this playlist says, our weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And every time we receive the bread and the cup of this table, we don't just remember, we proclaim God's promise in Christ to turn us around and raise us up from the chaos. If you have that Bible open, David concludes, I don't know if you caught it, He's been singing on his own, but he concludes by offering us a rallying cry to join him in living on a prayer. To join him, and if you're thinking Bon Jovi right now, you can take the tune and put the words to this song there. That's what I'm doing in my head. Because that's what David's modeling for us, living on a prayer. Singing a prayer of ceaseless plea and petition. Singing a prayer of unending hope and praise. we got to hold on to what we got. It doesn't make a difference if we make it or not. We've got it coming. And that's a lot for love. Whoa, we're halfway there. Whoa, we're living on a prayer. If I really, I could just totally embarrass myself, but I'm not going to do that. No, I, just a brief aside. I don't want to run a little long here, but I... I my encounters with Scripture, my faith with Jesus, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of Christian music. I don't know if anybody else suffers from this. I don't think it's a suffering thing. I often hear secular songs through biblical lenses. I'm not saying John Bon Jovi was thinking of Psalm 22 and he wrote that song, but I can hear that song and I can hear Psalm 22. That's what I'm saying. And when I sing that song, and it's a great, got a great hook and it's great to sing, but it sounds a lot different when you're singing that to Jesus. And David is singing this song to his God, I'm living on a prayer. You know, for some of us this morning, this sermon may have been nice and all. You may not, as I said earlier, find yourself in a season of disorientation right now. All's good. Even so, what I want to say to you is we're called as followers of Christ to help each other. We're called to weep with those who weep. We're called to bear witness to the suffering of others. And Psalm 22 offers us perspective for living into this part of our calling. Beloved, if we appreciate the words to this song, they can teach us to respond as good, faithful, and empathetic neighbors in the midst of another, experience, another person's experience of lament. I am the pastor. Lament. I don't want if you've gone through a divorce or are going through a divorce. I don't want if you've lost a child. I don't want if you've lost a, a loved one. I don't want if you've got a bad diagnosis that church, this community, is the last place you think to go because you're just going to feel totally awkward and like you don't belong. I want, we have to become in our worship, and our worship here is powerful, but we've got to incorporate, incorporate in our worship the space and the permission to, to sing lyrics like this. So that we can stand with someone, even though it makes us uncomfortable, and say, I've been there, and if I haven't, I'm going to be. Because that's the thing. Beloved, we not, may not be singing the psalm, the refrain of Psalm 22 today, but the time will come in our lives, probably more than once, when these words will pass from our lips from deep within our broken heart. Because if we truly view our lives through the lens of the kingdom of God, if we truly seek to see the world transformed by the gospel, we're going to have time to lament. 
as well as seasons of great rejoicing. If you truly seek the kingdom, if you truly proclaim the gospel, you're going to connect to the pain and suffering of this world. And the joy that comes from the gospel is so powerful because of we experience that pain and suffering differently. That's the thing. That's the difference. It's not that we avoid it. We walk through it differently, not just surviving but thriving. But I also recognize that there may have been, for some of us, already times when we felt like David. We felt like Jesus, abandoned by God. I think my spiritual impulse, I pray as I preach, is a few of us, may only be one, two people, I suspect more, a few of us here today maybe even be feeling this way right now, disoriented. You sit here and you feel like you don't know how you got, you weren't gonna come, you, got, you don't even know why you're here. You're thinking right now, this is a big mistake, I'm not coming back. I don't belong, I don't fit. When, he's, when communion's done, I'm jetting out the door so I don't have to see anybody. You're sitting here and you're clinging to memories of past help from God, clinging to memories of times when God was there, even as you feel forsaken by God right now, forsaken by your friends you find yourself like David. You feel like you're surrounded by terrifying creatures. You find yourself trapped in this weak, hurting body. You feel like you're exposed to the elements. You're sitting here and you're so physically or spiritually wounded. All you can sense is your pain. You're so humiliated that all you can focus on is your tormentors. That's the only voices you can hear in your head. You're so ashamed. Your head's down. You're trying not to cry. You don't want anyone else to see you. You're so ashamed that you're actually beginning to be doubtful that God even sees you alone cares. Don't lose hope. Psalm 22 proclaims to you and to me and to all of us what it has proclaimed to generations of believers before us and generations of believers yet to come is whether we are in the midst of good times or bad, there is more than one way to hold on to hope and to live out our faith. When life is full of blessings, yes, praise God. But when life is harder, harder than it seems possible to endure, despite the silence, despite the distance, despite feeling isolated, don't stop calling out. Don't stop singing to God for deliverance. Where are you? Why are you so far from saving me? Why don't you answer? Why, my God, my God, have you forsaken me? Our words, our cries, our song is not in vain. It is the song that many faithful men and women in whose path we follow, our ancestors in the faith, have sung again and again and again until at last they received an answer. And it's the answer that we all share in the chorus of our heartbreak. It's the answer of our Savior Jesus singing this song with us and taking this chorus of our heartbreak and with his last breath, turning it into a love song for the world. Let's pray. Open our hearts, Father. Open our ears. Open up 
all of us, anything that's closed off so that we might hear your word and know your voice. Through your spirit, speak. Speak into our lives. By your grace, redirect our wills. Redirect our wills so we'll serve you today, Lord. Today and always. God, help us through the words of this song and others like them in this book that you've given us, this playlist, to realize we're not crazy. We're okay. It's not our fault. God, help us. Help us to be able to speak. Sometimes there are no words. Help the tears to come, the words to fly, the anger, the frustration, the fear, all of it, Lord. Help us to pour it out as an offering to you without guilt, without shame, without apology. Teach us how to sing a song like this. And God, in, the, in doing so, help us to hold on to hope. Don't let us forget what you've done in the past. Don't let us forget the little things and the big things that you have done in the past. And God, do not let us forget. Put it in front of us what you promise for the future. And Lord, out of that place, resurrect our hope in the present. Our hope is found in you. It's found in your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we lift up our lives, our world to you. And all God's people said, amen.